All right. So we are in Revelation chapter 4. This is your first Sunday. We've been going, we've been working our way through the book of Revelation together. So far, it's been fun. Um, we're entering into a new section this morning. We've, up until now, we've been in this early part of Revelation where John receives this vision of, of Christ, you know, with the hair and the flaming eyes and the sword out of his mouth and all that, falls down on his face as one does when one sees Jesus Christ. And, and then Jesus he shows him, gives him a letter to write to each of these seven churches, okay, to, to us, right? Seven real churches that existed then, but also through them to us. And we've looked at each of those seven. And I like this for a lot of reasons, partly because the interpretation of these first few ch couple of chapters is fairly easy. But we learn some of the principles that we're going to need to have to interpret some of the harder bits that come later, okay? Um, so I wanted to kind of start, one, I'll just go read the first verse here um, in Revelation chapter 4, then remind you of a couple of things, and then we'll get into the main part, okay? So... Revelation 4, verse 1, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, identifying the person as Jesus. We've already seen him speaking like a trumpet earlier, right? And what does he say? He says, Come up here, and I will show you what may, must take place after this. That's a pretty cool invitation. But imagine having a a vision, and honestly, it gets a little weird to even know exactly how to describe a vision in any kind of practical terms. He sees it, but is it real? Yes, is it, but it's not at the same time. It's symbolic, and it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a mystery, all right? But he sees this in the spirit, this open door in heaven, and he hears Jesus say, hey, come here, I want to show you something. I'd be a little nervous, but I'm not saying no. Right? And so this is kind of the, the, this is how we get the transition from each phase, each vision in Revelation. So I want to point out, because people get a little confused right here, where it says, after this, that means this is a new vision. Okay? It doesn't mean what, what we started with in chapter one, this is a continuing. It's meaning, okay, the first vision with the churches and all that's over, and now we have a new one. Okay? Does that make sense? All right. A couple of reminders as we get into this. One, I'm telling you that all of Revelation is symbolic, okay? There's symbols representing other realities, okay? So we're looking at symbolic language because what we're going to read this morning is this kind of mind-boggling picture of heaven, and there's symbols like all over the place. And if you're like me, I get all excited about stuff like that. And I love reading things. I love reading like science fiction and fantasy. And I just love that stuff. I love those kinds of movies. Other people really get bothered by it. You get sort of overwhelmed. Like, what does it mean? Right? And you get frustrated because you just can't let go and let it be amazing. Right? And so if you're one of those analytical types, just like hold it in for a minute. All right? We'll get there. All right? But this is symbolism, okay? And we're going to dive into what these symbols mean. So taking the text too literally will cause you to end up with some really crazy interpretations, actually. 
right? I keep giving the example of the Antichrist because it's the one most people are most familiar with, right? Where, where you get the, 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 the YouTube prophet who's just figured out who the Antichrist is, right? And it's always somebody they don't like. It's usually a politician, right? So depending on who you ask, Trump is either the Antichrist or Trump is Christ. I don't know which is which, right? He's actually neither, right? Or it's, you know, it's every generation has their guy that they've decided is, and that's an overly literal interpretation of those scriptures. Okay, you with me? So it's not that we don't take it seriously. We take it very seriously, but it's symbolic. Second, remember that this is not an allegory, meaning every single detail doesn't have to have a real-world counterpart. There's a mistake you can make, especially with what we're going to read this morning, is where you dismantle the whole thing into its tiniest little details, and you overanalyze them and worry about what does this little thing, this little image mean, and you sort of lose the forest for the trees. So I'm going to encourage you to back up, right? Back up out of the weeds and look at the whole picture and what the picture might mean, and then slowly work your way into more detail until it no longer makes sense. And then you just stop and you move on, okay? Don't make that mistake. You overly analytical people are going to have a hard time if you try to do that, all right? So you're looking for the broad strokes, okay? Don't miss the forest for the trees. And number three, let the text itself guide you. Don't pull interpretations out of thin air and then try to crowbar them into the text. That's what happens when people read symbolism and they want to know what every little detail means and they're a little worked up about it and they're frustrated. They go, oh, I bet this means this has to do with this. This is the Republican Party. Or this is about my Aunt Susie, you know, and, and it's like you're pulling stuff out of thin air and then like cramming it in there. Oh, get it in there. It fits. It fits. It makes sense. Don't, don't do that. That's another way you end up with crazy things. I've had lots of fun looking on the internet with some of these scriptures. It's amazing. It's like, you know, you don't have to get, I call it getting cute with the text. It's like this desire we all have to be novel, to have a novel, like, individual, unique perspective on everything. And so we start messing around with the words on the page, like, just let the words mean what they mean. That's plenty. Okay, so... Just relax. And we're gonna, you're going to run into this temptation over and over and over again throughout the whole book. And I'll keep reminding you of those things as we go. All right. So here's the big question. Have you ever wondered what's going on in heaven? Have you ever just wondered, like right now? Right? The book of Revelation is not just about the future. It's not just about what heaven will be like or what Jesus will be like. It's about who Jesus is now and what's happening right now in this moment, okay? It's very important to get your timeline straight. We're living in this right now, okay? And so that's what John is getting ready to see. He sees an open door, and Jesus kind of calls out through the open door, hey, come in here. Let me show you what's happening. Let me show you what we're up to, right? And John says, okay, and then he goes into the Spirit whatever that is, and he goes through the door. And there he is, and he describes what he sees, okay? That's what we're going to read. You're going to see him 
use words like like and as if because he's struggling with language to describe what it is he's seeing. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, trying to get put words around how you feel. Like when something amazing happens, when a child is born or you get married or, or you know, some horrible things happens and you're just all discombobulated and you don't know how to express. John is grappling, so he keeps saying things like, it's like, it's kind of like this, like this creature is like a lion. Or this, but it's got a bunch of eyes, and that's kind of weird, and I, I don't know how to express this, so I'm just going to keep throwing words at it, and so I can try to get the word, the thing across, okay? So we are meant to, I want to encourage you as we read this, um, to just let the imagery fill your mind, use your imagination, get your imagination sanctified, and just imagine what he's seeing all right so I'm going to read the first eight verses all at once and then I'll go back because I really want you to get the imagery get it in your mind and not just break it apart too quickly all right so I'm going to read that and then we're going to talk through it um, together and a couple of things terms you may not know Jasper and Carnelian are precious stones we'll see those in the first couple of verses they're kind of an iridescent red and brown color it's pretty pretty beautiful like a light would shine through it and that's the idea and make everything red okay all right revelation 4 2 through 8 at once i was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Quite a picture. I think John's stronger than me because I would have fallen on my face there too. I would just have been constantly fainting. <laughs> and Revelation never would have gotten written because I'd be constantly passed out on the floor but this is what John sees is this crazy amazing glorious intense picture he doesn't just see it right he hears thunder that earth-shaking peals of thunder and so in your notes I've got a diagram to help you visualize this you've got the throne in the middle We'll just go through the different circles. He describes different circles of 
of people and beings and things happening going out from the center where the throne is. So in your diagram, the square in the center is the throne of God. The Father sits there. The Father is radiating his glory, and it appears like three things, jasper, carnelian, and an emerald rainbow. Flamboyant. Not quiet. Not timid. There is the Father, and John is looking, he's seeing this light, this red and orange and brown and green light just radiating out from the throne and he's trying to figure out like how do I express this and this from this throne this is the glory of God okay this is the visible glory of God radiating out from him and lighting up the place the glory of God is the central feature of this vision he is at the centermost point and at the highest point and his light illuminates everything else God the Father is in the middle of it. He is the central focus and the point, not just of heaven, but the universe. And around the edge of the throne are four living creatures. Lots of debate about what they are, what they mean. They're probably cherubim and seraphim. These four creatures are created beings that are unlike anything we see here on earth. That's why he says it's like, I don't know how to, This thing is like an ox, like a lion. It's not clear what these are exactly, but it's safe to say that they're a cherubim not unlike the angels described in Ezekiel, also in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah sees a vision of the temple, he sees these similar creatures, angelic beings worshiping there in the temple. There's an old theory that these four creatures Creatures represent the four Gospels. This is one of those weird theories that I read on the internet. Listen to the first 10 minutes of several sermons. And this is the point. This is one of those, pull it out of thin air, what does this mean? It must be the four Gospels. Because there's nothing here in Revelation that indicates that's what these mean. There's nothing in the Gospels that would say, like Mark never said, hey, I'm, I'm that creature. Like, that's like me. There's none of that. Anywhere, it's just somebody trying to make sense of something that they don't understand and pulling it out of thin air, all right? Don't be that guy. Does it so much matter what they are but what they're doing, right? What they're doing is the point, which is they are worshiping God at the top of their lungs continually. That's their job. That's happening right now. So beyond that, in circle five, are 24 thrones with their elders. The number 24 is really significant. David appointed 24 orders of priests in the temple. There were 24 Levitical gatekeepers in the temple. And there were 24 Levitical worshipers in the temple. And then in Revelation 21, mentions 12 apostles and the 12 patriarchs of the tribes in the Old Testament of Israel. Totaling 24, for those of you who don't like math. Taken together, this really points to the 24 thrones here in John's vision as representing the entire body of Christ across all of time. It's the global universal capital C church, what it represents. That would be you and I, plus every Christian in Turkey, every Christian in history, 
and every Christian that ever will be. We are represented by these 24 thrones surrounding the throne of God. They have been given great authority by the Father. They have thrones and crowns. It starts to blow my mind a little bit. Because if I'm looking at this, I'm trying to imagine how just crazy and intimidating and holy and glorious this scene is. The throne and God radiating out from the throne and these amazing, bizarre creatures standing around just worshiping and the thunder and the lightning. I don't imagine there being a seat for me that close to the throne. Put me in circle six. Right? I'll take the lawn seat, please. But where Christ places us in the throne room is not at the back wall in the corner. He places us right, not on the throne, but around it right there. The best seat in the house. Again, this is the current reality. You and I, are seated with Christ in heavenly places right now. Like, but man, my, my seat's a little uncomfortable. I'm sitting here in Kernersville at church. How can I be seated there too? Well, that's, that's, the, that's the issue with faith, isn't it? Is it to recognize that this is more real than you sitting here? That this is what God says about you. It's what God sees about you. It's what he declares about you. It's where he has placed you. It is your position in his throne room. This is where you are if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're not there. And so next week, we'll do circle six and seven, but I've kind of given them to you here. You've got a multitude of angels. Um, you've got more creatures. All the rest of the creatures in the universe You've got seven lamps, a sea of glass, and the lamb, which is my favorite part. I wanted to do chapters four and five this morning. You have no idea how hard it was for me not to do both chapters this morning. But I was like, you know what? Better do two, two short sermons than one really long one, all right? <laughs> but next week we'll see the lamb who begins in this vision down where the elders are, at the foot of the throne. And by Revelation 22... He moves. He shifts position to being on the throne with God. But that's literally another sermon for next week. Look at verse 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne... who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. More worship. It's interesting, the word for worship here in verse 10 is essentially a synonym for falling prostrate in worship. So this pairing, meaning they fell down in worship to fall down in worship. 
is used many times in Scripture, really interesting, and indicates two stages of a single act of adoration. The repetition indicates increasing intensity, right? And I give you a list of scriptures there where the same combination is used. Two synonyms meaning the same thing paired together means that you're doing it really a lot. You really, really mean it. And it's just sort of a, a rotating, kind of undulating increase in intensity. Okay? This is not just 24 elders, which is, represents us, taking their crowns, throwing it down once and bowing and doing a kind of formal thing. This is like their eternal occupation. It's to continually throw themselves on the ground, throwing their crown, leaving their throne, leaving their place of honor around the throne of God that God had given them. It's not improper. This is not repentance. This is something else. This is worship. This is speaking of the essence of worship, which is to throw down what you are, throw down what you have, throw down all your credentials, even the ones that God himself gave you, and say, this is nothing compared to you. You have it. This is all I got. I don't have much, but what I have is this crown you gave me. <laughs> so I'll give that to you. And I'll throw myself on my face before you continually over and over and over again. So each time these cherubim cry out saying holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come every time they cry out and the ground shakes and the lightning flashes and the thunder quakes these 24 elders leave their throne throw their crowns down and throw themselves at the feet of god and so whatever accomplishments or glory and authority that have been given by god are cast down in worship all that they have belongs to him can you imagine any other response in that picture? Like, can you imagine just one of those guys being like, I'm good. This throne is mighty comfortable. I'll just stay. You can't even conceive of it, can you? Like, do you know who you're worshiping? <laughs> right? You don't hold on to stuff like it's mine when you're faced with that kind of glory. You just don't do it. So humans have a nasty tendency to determine how we are doing, what our value is, what our purpose is, how we rank with some really dumb things. I have a few here I listed. There's many more. One is our own system of morality and value. So we create a set of values and ethics and morality that we feel that we can live up to we create this for ourselves, and as long as we do those things or don't do these other things that we've decided are really bad, the real bad things, then we're okay. And it's funny, like every culture and every subculture has a different set, right? If you go into a prison, there's a set of ethics, a code that they abide by. There's certain things you just don't do, right? But other things are no big deal. You go to other cultures, and they have a whole different set of things that are really important to them and not so important to them. And we all do this. We are constantly checking ourselves, not against the throne, 
but against what some list we've created in our minds of what's good and bad, what's, or what's really good and what's really bad. Well, I'm not as bad as that person. That's the second one. It's the comparison. So we like to hang around with people that we're just slightly better than so we can feel good, but be inspired by people that are, we feel are better than us. That's why I like to hang around with Gail. Because I have somebody to look up to. But is Gail Davis the standard of holiness? No. Awesome as she is, she is not perfect. Right? Comparisons. Charlie, I was... Of all the times to say amen, Charlie, that was not it. <laughs> if you're still with us next week, we'll know, that, we'll know that Gail truly is holier than we thought. <laughs> but you see the point, right? We, we compare ourselves to other people either to make ourselves feel better or we, we compare ourselves to other people and we never measure up. And we always feel awful. No matter how well we think we're doing. What about just the opinions of other people? So long as this person and this person or those people approve of me, then I must be fine. And as soon as those people don't approve of you, what happens? Is your confidence just crumbles to bits, Right? This is our human tendency, and it's wicked. It's to try to figure out how we rank and how we're doing, what our value is, what our purpose is, based on really shaky things. It's where we derive our confidence. It's where we derive what we think our faith is. I'm feeling good, so I'll obey God. But Revelation 4 paints a very different picture of reality, doesn't it? G.K. Beale says, all heavenly beings find their significance in their placement around the throne. And all the earth's inhabitants are judged on the basis of their attitude to God's claim to rule over them from his throne. So every one of these creatures in heaven finds its significance in its placement in relationship to the throne of God. And every inhabitant of earth, you and I, are judged based on our attitude towards his claim to rule over us from that throne. So if you submit to that rule, then you're, you get to hang out in that circle. If you're grumpy about it and rebel against it, you're outside. And outside is a bad place, right? Everything about you how you rank, quote-unquote rank, your value, your purpose, your significance is found in your orientation to the throne of God. Not in your orientation to your neighbor. Not in your orientation to your life goals or an orientation to your own personal sense of ethics and morality. It's only in your orientation to the throne. It's why... 
someone who lives a wicked life and repents, can be found at the throne. Because that part they got right. They just submitted to God. They said, you're my king, you're my Lord, you're my God. Who, where else am I going to go? And so they leave their throne, they cast their crowns down at his feet, and they worship him. This is what defines us as human beings. And it's what defines the order of the universe and the significance of everyone you meet. Is where are they in orientation to the throne of God? This is what heaven's going to be like. I don't know if we'll see literally these creatures and that stuff. I don't know how that works. There's going to be something wild going on with that. But we are, our joy is going to come from being able to worship with those cherubim and those seraphim and hang out and bask in the glow, the sunlight of his glory for eternity. Your goodness, your value, your significance, your identity, your reason for being is not determined by you. It's determined by your orientation to the throne of God. Crowns are only good for throwing them down. That's the only thing they're good for. There's no use. You know, I, I get frustrated with the constant push to be like, hey, if you do this good thing, you'll get your crown in heaven. That's a weird, kind of works-based, non-gospel-y kind of thing. It's the only thing, yeah, get your crown. But you're going to understand, like, there's another part to that story. <laughs> the other part of that story is the only thing it's good for is to throw it down at his feet. And to recognize that your best day, your best act, your best moment of obedience in life pales in comparison to his holiness and his glory. It's like, what else am I going to do with this crown? Am I going to prance around heaven with it and brag about my awesome mansion? No, you're going to take it and go, oh, throw it down. It's yours. Everything I'm good for, all that I'm good for is worship. That's it. That's what I mean by your significance is derived from not what you do, but it's derived from your orientation to the throne of God. So, if you're in Christ and you're seated with him, that's great news. Next week we're going to see, it just gets deeper. You have the seat of honor around the throne of God, and this is where you are right now. That's what Paul teaches in Hebrews, or whoever wrote Hebrews, probably Paul. Not to introduce another controversy in this. Is that as we worship together here, we're worshiping together in heaven, in heavenly places, around the throne of God. That's the real reality of what it is we're doing. And so I want to, like we always do, we usually end with worship, but I want to do it with the mindset of I'm, not, I'm, I'm coming to Christ and I'm throwing my crown down at the seat. Every other thing that I have ranked myself on, I'm throwing away. And I'm just going to be here around the throne of God and that's it. 
and I'm going to join with those seraphim and those cherubim. I can't wait to hear them. I imagine they have great voices. I want to hear that. I want to join in that sound right now. This is not future. This is not one day in the future when Jesus returns, it'll be like this. It is this now, and you are there now if you're in Christ, whether you see it or not. The throne at the center means that everything, even your value, revolves around him and him alone. And worship is about readjusting, reorienting ourselves, moving ourselves off the throne, onto the floor, getting reoriented to him. So let's do that together. Why don't we stand up and pray as the worship team comes up. God, thank you for including us in the throne room. God, we are nothing but your creatures were it not for your life, for your spirit flowing through us. God, we have nothing in and of ourselves to claim as our own. But you have claimed us as your own. So, Lord, I pray that this vision of, that John had of heaven would be just burned into our minds, into our imaginations. God, we repent of ever trying to rank ourselves or to give or validate our existence by things other than you. God, for trying to put other things on the throne in your place. Silly things, unfaithful things, things that don't satisfy, things that are not good, things that are unhelpful and shaky and inconsistent. And God, we repent of that and we pray now that we would, you would help us by your spirit to see you on the throne, to see that glowing ember radiating sunlight, the jasper and carnelian and the emerald rainbow radiating out from your throne, that your glory would shine on us this morning. Help us to see where we fit in that circle of elders. God, I pray that you would draw out of us free worship this morning. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.